listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Welcome to the program, Coast to Coast to Coast. This is The Big Show. I'm Evan Solomon alongside Sam Polk. Chris Viss is in the house. You are in the house. I think Nick's on the board in Toronto. And we are all here for a show today about who helps you. Theme of the day. T-O-D. Theme of the day. Who helps you? What institutions serve you? Your elected officials? The monarchy? We're going to dig into that today. Why? Because, of course... As the Queen's Coffin right now is making its way to London from Edinburgh in that long journey. There's a new poll out that we will discuss today from Leger that says Canadians are actually quite indifferent to the monarchy under Charles, not under Elizabeth. And we'll talk to Christian Bork, the executive vice president. They're indifferent to the British monarchy and that the Queen's death... Not really that big a deal. They don't feel a big attachment. And under Charles III, well... Now, does that mean that we're going to ditch the monarchy? It would take every single province and territory to vote. And there's a very famous quote in Canada that says, of the hundred top things Canadians are worried about, ditching the monarchy is 101. But they're talking about it in Australia. They're talking about it in New Zealand. They're talking about it in other places because after Elizabeth, it's a different world. So we'll talk about that. Does the monarchy still have relevance to you and do we need it? Should we be, quote, a republic? And those are conversations that are happening now, so we should have them. But speaking of help, the prime minister, Justin Trudeau, on the very day that Pierre Polyev released the names of his new team, Deputy Leader Melissa Lantzman, uh, you know, lots of people like Chris Workington, there are Tim Uppel, they're all elevated to a new position. So he's got a new team, his, his inflation-busting team, he's calling it. Justin Trudeau decided, I better get in the game on this affordability stuff. I better actually come out of the uh, summer slumber and realize that I can't keep blaming the rest of the world on this, I can't keep essentially saying, you know, it's not our fault. And, hey, remember in 2015 we did the child benefit and remember in the last election we did the child care stuff. Those matter and just be thankful. Today he announced a couple of things. Probably the first thing, the breaking news, and I'll get to this, is that he's announced that September 19th, as I watch pictures now of the Queen's coffin being carried um, in the Royal Cortage there uh, from Edinburgh on its way to London, That September 19th will be a federal holiday. A federal holiday. So civil servants won't need to work. I'm getting texts on my text board at 71010. One more day the private sector will be paying for the public sector to stay home, says Keith. Another holiday for the best people. Bravo, Justin. People are mad about it, but Australia is doing it. Most of the Commonwealth is doing it. And, and, And Mr. Trudeau is announcing not only that there'll be a federal holiday, but he's working with the provinces to make it a national holiday for everyone. Here's the Prime Minister. Also uh, chosen to move forward uh, with uh, a uh, federal holiday 
uh, on Monday. We will be working with the provinces uh, and uh, the uh, territories uh, to try and see that we're aligned on this. There are still uh, a few details to be worked out. Uh, but uh, uh, declaring an opportunity for Canadians to mourn uh, on Monday uh, is going to be important. I have no problem with that. As long as it's not just a federal holiday, if you make it a national holiday, it would be um, r- sending the wrong message if publicly employed people take the day off to mourn and ca- other Canadians don't get that opportunity. If you're really going to let people mourn, don't give it just to public servants. That will make a uniting moment, a dividing moment. That will make it seem like the monarchy is now serving the only the public servants and the government, not the people. That would not be in line with the legacy of the queen, who is about the people. And it would further, I think, embitter people to the relevance of the monarchy. So in my view, it's a step. I have no problem with it as long as it's not just a federal holiday. He's got to work with the provinces. I think he should have had that done before he made the announcement. I know other realms, as they call them, other Commonwealth countries are going to do this. So it's a good idea. It respects the Queen, but seriously now, do not make it just public servants. It is the wrong message. It's either everyone or no one. Everyone or no one. You cannot have an elitist institution then give the day off to public servants who the public pays. So what? The public pays for an unelected monarchy and then we give public servants the day off and everyone else goes to work? Come on now. Wrong message. It's just not good. So you got to get that done. I have no problem if everyone gets it. Now, Justin Trudeau decided to get in the game today. Here's the announcements and we'll walk through them. This will provide hundreds of dollars of support to Canadians, including half of all families and more than half of all seniors in the country. For example, parents with two kids could receive up to an extra $467 this fall to help with the cost of living. So what he's talking about here is he's doubling the goods and services tax credit for six months. Now, what does the GST tax credit do? The government says it will... If impact 11 million individuals and families who receive the tax credit, half of the families with children, half of them seniors. If you're a single Canadian without children, you'll receive up to 234 bucks. Couples with two children receive an extra 467 and seniors would receive 225. And now you might think, well, Evan, how much is that going to cost? Well, thanks for the question. Doubling the goods and services tax credit for six months will provide $2.5 billion in relief. So that's $2.5 billion. Boomo. Now, this is all part of their little deal with the NDP. But that's not it. Now, you might say, that's great. I need that. And many people do. So you're either liking that you got what you got, and or you're worried about the cost of it. They're also going to provide a Canadian dental benefit to children under 12 who do not have access to dental insurance. Direct payments totaling $1,300 per child over the next two years, that's $650 a year in, in the max, are provided. This is the first stage of the bigger dental coverage plan for families, but your income has to be under family household income under $90,000, and this affects children under 12 to get the dental care. Okay, this was part of their deal with the NDP. 
hey, Evan, what's that going to cost? Well, this year in 22-23, it's going to cost $900 million. And the benefit for uninsured children under 12 is the first stage. And eventually, um, it'll cost a lot more because you're going to get um, direct payments for lots more families. Um, and it's going to cost billions of dollars. It's going to cost um, a new national dental plan with the goal of expanding this coverage to under 18-year-old seniors and everyone with a disability by next year or and for all families with income under um, 90000 by 2025. It's expensive. And then um, they are, so $900 million this year. And then they're going to have a $500 uh, payment for renters doubling their budget commitment. So that's another $1.2 billion to double the, the renters at the $500 rent. Okay. So that's just the announcement today. Multi-billions of dollars. Now you tell me, one, does it increase inflation? Probably not. Does it help people who need it? Maybe. But does it stimulate growth in the economy? Or are we just bailing out the ship? So we're going to talk about that today. But I'm telling you, that's today the theme, theme of the day, who's helping, what institutions are really. So you can let me know if you like these benefits at 71010. But after the break, doubts about the monarchy. Wait till you hear this poll. That's next. Instant access to real people, real stories. The Evan Solomon Show is on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Boy, oh boy, am I getting a lot of texts about should there be a federal holiday for on the 19th, as the Prime Minister announced today, to mourn the death of the Queen. Chris, let me just play that. When you have that clip, I just want people to hear it because... This is really interesting. Then you could text me at 71010 because it's not yet a national holiday. Clearly, the prime minister is insinuating he's working with the provinces to get the details for a national holiday. So far, it's a federal holiday, which means that basically public servants will get the day to mourn the queen the whole day. Like, listen to this. Also uh, chosen to move forward uh, with uh, a uh, federal holiday. Uh, on Monday, we will be working with the provinces uh, and uh, the uh, territories uh, to try and see that we're aligned on this. There are still uh, a few details to be worked out, uh, but uh, uh, declaring an opportunity for Canadians to mourn uh, on Monday uh, is going to be important. Look, the Queen is a beloved figure, but is the monarchy beloved? And therefore, does it warrant a national holiday, which they're doing in Australia and, and New Zealand, by the way. Many people listening love the Queen and love the monarchy and will say, yes, this is the right thing to do. She deserves it after 70 years. But Christian Bork is the executive vice president and a partner at Leger, and he has a poll on this. So don't just trust your anecdotes. Anecdotes aren't data. Get some data. And uh, Christian, great to have you back on the program. Hope you are well. Um, what did your poll find? Well, it's, we asked the question, you feel attached to the British monarchy or not? 
And 77% of Canadians say not. Um, regardless of how we look at the data, of course, attachment to the monarchy is slightly higher in certain regions of Canada, reaching 24% in the Atlantic. Uh, it reaches one in three people outside Quebec over the age of 50, uh, 55, so a little bit higher among older Canadians. Um, but really, there's no or any indication anywhere that there's uh, um, a majority of Canadians or something even close to a majority of Canadians who actually care that much. It's like, it's not, I love the monarchy. It's not, I don't love the monarchy. It's like, I don't care. It's like an apathy about it. And has the apathy, when you measure uh, emotions around the monarchy for Queen Elizabeth versus now King Charles, does it change? We asked, uh, do you think that, you know, uh, Prince Charles becoming now the king, because uh, we asked those questions over the weekend. So after the passing uh, of, of Queen Elizabeth II, uh, 15% said, well, it's good news uh, that, that uh, Charles becomes king. 16% said it's bad news. 61% said I'm indifferent. 61% said they were indifferent. Now, what does that mean? Like, so does that, how, what does that tell us about attachment to, I'm speaking to Christian yeah. Bork right now, folks. So these are new polls after the Queen died. Christian Bork, the executive vice president and partner at Leger. This is a fascinating new poll, not just showing total indifference to the monarchy, 61%, but what about, I don't know, attachment to the British monarchy? Mm-hmm. I think where we see some elements uh, in the results is people saying, well, I, I, I respect Queen Elizabeth II. She's the only British monarch um, I have known in my lifetime, and I'm not that young. Uh, she's the only figurehead uh, that I can relate to uh, from that perspective, because 48% of Canadians say, but I will watch the funeral. Um, so it's, it's probably, uh, uh, if, if, if what I get from the data, if Canadians could answer the question, they would say, not out of disrespect for Queen Elizabeth II, but I don't care that much. So, so it's 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 sort of a curiosity. It's it's the, the the size of the historical figure that she represents is something that is to some extent important to Canadians. Half of us will watch the funeral, but do you really care about the British monarchy in your life today? And three quarters of Canadians say not really. Three quarters, like it's incredible. Seventy five percent almost, right? It's actually seventy seven percent. So they feel no attachment to the British monarchy. So here we have 10 days. The prime minister just announced a federal holiday. People are supposed to, it's all you can see on the news right now is I'm watching the news right now. And for people 55 and over, this matters. And I, but basically most Canadians say, you know, we love the queen, I guess, but we, we have no attachment to the monarchy. Yeah, and, and when actually you look at the 18 to 34, so younger Canadians coming in, uh, only 12% of them feel some form of attachment to the British monarchy. So for them, it's basically somebody else's monarch. Um, and I believe historically over time... Uh, well, she is the Queen like, of Canada now. She is the Queen of Canada, and she has been. Formally. <laughs> Formally. Interesting. I know you got to. I know you got to run. But but boy, uh, that means this is a challenge for King Charles, isn't it? Major challenge, and I think there will be challenges coming from New Zealand, from Australia, from some other former uh, 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 colonies uh, of the Commonwealth, and maybe even from Canada. Uh, we'll see. 
You did not ask if it's time to uh, um, end the link because obviously maybe that's just a little, uh, this isn't the moment for that, but that will be a question coming up. Christian Bork from Leger, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. (laughs) My pleasure. You know, this is fascinating to me, and and I'm going to open the phone lines because here we've got our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, following the example of Australia, following New Zealand, following the UK, Scotland, those are all having national holidays. Now, we have a federal holiday. That means public servants only. And obviously, there's a negotiation with the provinces and territories to make it a national holiday. My sense of this, but then you got to look at the data. Before we come to, you know, I like it, I don't like it. Let's look at the data. Should we have a national holiday? Well, if the Leger data, and they did it in association with the, with the Association of Canadian Studies, that respondents basically said, yes, we're going to tune in, 50% of respondents. So they, they care. But 75% of Canadians said, so three-quarters, there's no impact. It's curious. It's interesting. It's a celebrity kind of thing, but it has no impact on my life. Now, 55 and older have a different kind of view. And then they thought, like, oh, the accession of King Charles to the throne, is it good or bad? 15% said good. 16% said bad. 61% said they're indifferent. And 77% said they have no attachment to the British monarchy. Now, you tell me. If you're governing a country and 77% of people say, look, I am not attached to this institution. It's a vestige of another time. It doesn't impact me. Would you declare a national holiday? Or do you say, I'm doing it because this is our history. Out of respect for the long reign of Queen Elizabeth II and her love of this country and the life she led of duty and the fact that we are a constitutional monarchy and the fact that the monarchy does have a powerful symbolic role and the fact that this is about our traditions and our and our history despite the legacy of colonialism despite the legacies the dark legacies that the monarchy represents despite the shenanigans of her children and grandchildren but most canadians are saying thanks evan you can force me. This is like, I'm, I, I feel like we're saying, but broccoli's really good for you. But don't you know about the vitamins? Don't you know about health? Don't you? you know, I do, but I don't like it. I don't care. You can't keep, you can't talk me. Or it's like talking someone into music that you like. I love the band. Don't you know about Robbie Roberts? I don't care about it. But I, you, you got to listen to it. I like Drake. Oh, you got to listen to, you know, songs from the Big Pink. It's, I know it's old, but you're really going to like it. This was the beginning of a great era of music. It's like, you cannot convince people to care about something they don't like. It has to be natural. So then I ask you this, given those Nepal numbers. How affected are you by the Queen's passing? Do you support a federal or national holiday on Monday to mourn the Queen? one 833 or 7-10-10. Do you support a national holiday or a federal holiday to honor and mourn the passing of the Queen? one 833 or 7-10-10. Please let me know. I'm fascinated to hear what you say.
Strong views. Powerful opinions. The Evan Solomon Show continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Wow, wow, wow. Welcome back. Sam and I over the break are just trolling through the text board, which is absolutely alive and blowing up with your thoughts on whether or not Canada should declare a federal or national holiday on Monday to mourn the Queen. The Prime Minister just announced this. Also uh, chosen to move forward uh, with uh, a uh, federal holiday uh, on Monday. We will be working with the provinces uh, and uh, the uh, territories uh, to try and see that we're aligned on this. There are still uh, a few details to be worked out. Uh, but uh, uh, declaring an opportunity for Canadians to mourn uh, on Monday uh, is going to be important. So a whole day to mourn the Queen. Monday, of course, is going to the funeral. Parliament starts the next day. Uh, He's clearly signaling he'd like to um, follow the example of Australia and New Zealand, which have already declared a national holiday. So far, this is a federal holiday, so it's just public servants. My view on this is clear, and I'd like to hear your view. 1-855-633-1010 or 7-1010. My view is very clearly, I don't mind a national day to honor the Queen, but do not make it just for federal servants alone. That would be back-assward, insulting to the legacy of the Queen, who was about people, not just public servants, would divide the country, not unite the country, and a country that already is, as we've just heard, essentially indifferent to the monarchy. And that would make it, the monarchy is really about a bunch of well-paid public servants versus everybody. So it's all or nothing in my view. But our lines are blowing up. Okay, let's go. Mark, what's up? Mark, you're on the line. Maybe you're not on the line. Okay, uh, I'm not getting Mark. Let me try Andrew in Toronto. I've got a huge list of people. Andrew. Hi, Evan. Um, Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I agree with everything you said. I think optically it looks bad, but I'll I'll add this. I I think that people are kind of losing the significance of, of, you know, the Queen's uh, place in Canadian history. You know, I'm old enough to vividly remember the repatriation of the Constitution in 1982 and you know i i think it's sad that in our schools like i asked my kids and their their high school age have have you guys talked about this at all and and the answer was no they're talking about things that are i I think are far less important or significant to canadian history and i think a a national day of mourning for somebody who's been a constant in in canada and the commonwealth for 70 years is a really important thing to, to recognize let, let me just respond. I love your call on two things. Um, so great call. One, do I think we need to study more history. By the way, did you know this is the also the anniversary of the Plains of Abraham? I think 1758, where both Malcolm and, and Wolf were killed. So that's an interesting day. Since we're talking about Canadian history, I'm just going to nerd out with you. Uh, two, so I love Canadian history. I think we should study it more and honor it. But it's interesting that you mention, and in schools for sure, Interesting that you mention 1982. When we repatriated the Constitution, 
it really did sever our ties with Britain more. It didn't mean that we got rid of the monarchy. We're still a constitutional monarchy. But actually, I'm not. It's no doubt that a new generation of Canadians are are less interested in someone that resides in Britain, that that is the Queen of Canada, without who visits here every couple years and has a very tenuous relationship with us from a personal point of view. It's a colonial vestige that's basically symbolic, and the repatriation of the Constitution actually strengthens our own independence. I'm not surprised your kids and mine feel the same way, but I I agree with you that we should study it more and study history. So great call. Uh, Andrew, um, oh, that was Andrew. Um, Who who do we have now? Um, Terry. Hey, Evan. I tell you, I think she was one of the most sincere women on the planet. On, on Monday, I am going to have a drink to her, and the only reason why Trudeau wants to make it a, make it a federal holiday is so I can spend it at the friggin' beach. Well, so so wait, uh, you don't think it should be a holiday at all? No, not at all. He just wants to spend a day at the beach. Well, he won't be at the beach. You, you know he's going, to be, he's going to be in London at the funeral. You know that. Oh, oh yeah. Like, um, the, the MPs have way too many holidays as it is already. Right, we don't well, need a freaking holiday, not uh, at all. Okay, not I appreciate all. that. Uh, I just, I'll just i tell you just the facts on that. MPs were set to come to Parliament on the 19th. It's delayed just by one day. I'm not surprised by that. Um, and, and Justin Trudeau is not at the beach. He's going to be actually at the funeral. Uh, Larry in Scarborough, what's up? Hi, I support the monarchy, but I think that people should be working. I don't want people taking a day off so they can play golf or some other fun activity. I feel the same way about Remembrance Day. I think uh, they fought for the country. We can work for the country. But I think that um, I respect the Queen, and I, will, I don't watch TV in the daytime. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I would, uh, you know, Remembrance Day is important um, and, and honoring those who serve. I think honoring the queen is important. Whether or not we have to stop working for an entire day, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a remarkable act of respect for the queen. And, and the question is, does she deserve it? Or, or, or maybe they're... What if they had done this, just out of interest? Instead of a national holiday, what about just a moment, a minute, or two minutes of silence? Or maybe seven minutes of silence, honestly, for 70 years? What about that? Instead of a full day to, quote, mourn the queen. Because, yeah, maybe most people, you think people are going to mourn the queen for an entire day? I doubt it. Now, let me read you some texts. Can we just make May 24th Queen's Day? We don't need more days off, do we? Is this beginning of a migration to a four-day work week from Rich in Toronto? Interesting. I don't think that's the case. Adam from Burlington, I have no interest in a day off to mourn the Queen, but I am fully confident Trudeau will seize any opportunity to get some brownie points. Polyev has him rattled. There's no amount of our money he's willing to spend. You know, the people that don't like Justin Trudeau, it's interesting on this. Of course, they're going to be mad that he's doing this. But if you're a conservative, isn't part of the conservative values usually to defend the monarchy? Like, isn't you'd think a conservative prime minister, if Mr. Polyev was the prime minister, would also want to honor the queen. No, isn't that part of what a conservative tradition is about? Conserving the traditions that ensure freedoms? Or is it like we can do that without the monarchy now? I don't know. Maybe that's a, there's a new definition of what it means to be conservative in Canada. I have in this holiday on Monday is just another public sector benefit for the private sector has to pay for. I'm from England. I don't need a day off to work and appreciate the Queen's life and contribution. More shenanigans from Trudeau, says Neil. 
Evan, yes, Queen Elizabeth deserves the honor for all she did. She gave her life and above all, the call of duty. Hi, Evan, I'm completely against the National Day of Mourning for the Queen. Even if we're given the day off, I'll not take it. We should work instead for truth and reconciliation on September 30th, like we did last year. This is very polarizing. Evan, the reality is it's part, the Canada's part of the Commonwealth. The Queen is our head of state. It would be disrespectful if we didn't officially acknowledge with a National Day of Mourning. But Kim, why do we need a, look, I guess a National Day of Mourning is what is happening. But the polls show that 77% of Canadians don't have an attachment to the monarchy. And maybe this will help heal that. I don't know. But why not a moment of silence? Do you work on Remembrance Day? Do you go to work on the day when we remember people who paid the ultimate sacrifice? Do you work and then you have a moment of silence? My question is, could we not have done a moment of silence? Or would that have been rude? If the prime minister had said, we're going to have a minute of silence or seven minutes of silence, people would say, I can't believe it. He's disrespecting the queen. It's a national day. Australia's done it. New Zealand's done it. The UK's done it. Canada should do it. This is Canada disrespecting the queen. So you do it anyway. It's, in my view, you're stuck. Prime Minister says doesn't do this, and other, and the major countries in the Commonwealth do. Canada looks like it's rude, and we had a special attachment to Queen Elizabeth. We don't. We do do it, and people think it's a waste. So what I'm going to do next is uh, I'll have a quick hit with Nick Dixon, reporter at CP24. He's in London right now to give us the latest as the coffin is on the plane jetting from Edinburgh to London, and we'll get more texts and calls on this as it's blowing up. Um, boy, I love hearing from you all. Uh, This is at the Evan Solomon Show. Stay with us. Authentic voices, real conversations. This is the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. The Queen's Coffin is being um, flown to... London from uh, Edinburgh today in Scotland. What you're going to see until Monday, the state funeral, as she lies in state, is millions and millions of people. We've seen the Sea of Flowers, a massive security challenge. And it is questions, of course, about the relevance of the monarchy have of course, really become relevant. We've talked to a pollster today. Um, many of the mourners, though, outside the St. Giles Cathedral, where the coffin was in Edinburgh, like Sheila McLay, praised the Queen. She was a wonderful ambassador for our country. She was such an example to every single one of us. She was dignified. She was just... <laughs> She was beautiful inside and out, and I've known her all of my life. I miss her very much. Kind of fascinating that uh, King Charles III and his wife Camilla went to Northern Ireland today, uh, just outside Belfast, the official residence there, called Hillsborough Castle. Charles said this when when he was actually met by hundreds of people um, cheering him. On behalf of all my family... I can only offer the most heartfelt thanks for your condolences. Will he be able to connect? Um, 
Nick Dixon is a reporter with CP24, co-anchor of CP24 Breakfast. He is in Edinburgh, where the uh, Queen's Coffin has just left. Uh, Nick, thanks for joining us. Give us a sense of, of the reaction around this um, this incredibly complex and solemn 10 days. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Evan, it was like devotion, respect, love. I mean, people absolutely came out to offer to the Queen what they feel she gave her over her 70-plus year reign. You know, some people were lining up 10 hours to get into St. Giles Cathedral, uh, but they happily did it. They, you know, willfully did it because they felt that in, in the life and the service that the Queen gave to them, that they felt that they owed it to her and, and to a person that we spoke to outside the cathedral all day today. They were just so, you know, they're so they just feel so endeared to her. They felt like they know her. They felt like she's a part of their family, the grandmother, that sort of thing. And so they were all just, I, I'm going to use the word happy, happy to do it because they just admire in so many cases, you know, issues with people turning out. We're losing Nick Dixon a bit, reporter with CP24. He's on a train. Um, he's also going to obviously follow the procession, the, the uh, coffin as it makes its way from Edinburgh to London. And um, as we reestablish with Nick Dixon, who who is on location, just reiterating what he said there, that the devotion that people have, the personal connection they have, and that it comes from 70 years of service. Now, King Charles has been waiting for this moment for a long time. And uh, you you wonder, and Nick is back, you wonder, Nick, if King Charles, after this is done, this 10 days and ends on Monday, that there will be that same sense of devotion um, to the monarchy and to him. Well, certainly, you know, from the people I've spoken to, Evan, and I just want to point out, I'm on a high-speed train just heading out of Edinburgh, so the signal, I apologize. Uh, but what, I, what I've heard from so many people is that they, 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 A, want to give him a chance, and B, feel like he almost trained at the foot of the master, right? They, they have so much respect for what Queen Elizabeth II did in her 70-plus year reign, and, of course, she knew that he was going to become king. So, you know, she trained him. He was well with the royal responsibility the to be his majesty and so i'm and people feel like in everything he said so far since his mother's death they feel like okay he's hitting the right notes he's doing the right thing let's give king charles iii a chance talk about um king charles in northern ireland um i you know we all remember the troubles of course um my wife's family of course many of them from belfast so it's part of the world I know pretty well. Um, we remember 1979. Remember when um, Lord Mountbatten, the Queen's cousin, and, and actually King Charles' great mentor, uh, was was killed by the IRA in a bomb. And then, of course, um, in 2012, the Queen shook hands with the Sinn Féin deputy leader, Martin McGuinness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a troubled relationship still, though, isn't it? Well, it is, and that's the thing, right? I mean, there, there are so many parts of the Commonwealth where there are issues and troubles, uh, and, and certainly the monarchy is going to have to sort of, in a sense, fight for, to, to, for it to continue. And, and what I think you're seeing is King Charles III really, he's, he's got two jobs right now, mourning and getting down to business as, as the monarch and as his majesty. And so, you know, we've seen him in Scotland where there have been troubles and issues, and of course, as a, 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 an independence vote for sovereignty to, you know, separate from the monarchy next October uh, of 2023. So you've got that in mind. Then you've got Northern Ireland in mind. You've got other nations 
in the Caribbean in mind. So, you know, all of these moves are very carefully, it seems, being planned out to try to make those connections early on because the royal family is well aware of what may happen as Queen Elizabeth II died, where this may go and the popularity and, and how people feel about Charles. So I think this is a real sign of the, of the, of the seriousness and the, you know, the efforts the family is willing to make and the, and the institution is willing to make uh, to sort of try to keep it all together and keep it all sewn together. As the uh, Royal Air Force C-17 Globemaster uh, is waiting on the tarmac, um, and it will be flying the coffin back to London from Scotland, but that Globemaster is still there, as I can see from pictures. Speaking of Nick Dixon, Nick, um, the Prime Minister will be there. Uh, he's just declared that it's going to be a federal, but not yet a national holiday. He's negotiating on that with provinces and territories. It is, I assume, a national holiday there. It is. That's right. Yeah, it, it is. And it's funny. I was asked earlier by uh, someone from CFRA what people think is, is should Canada be doing that. And I don't think really anybody here is thinking about that. The focus here is is entirely on how, how things are being handled here. And yes, Monday in the UK is a, is, a, is a holiday. I mean, and everybody is being encouraged to either, you know, watch on television or we know, uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, millions uh, are going to be in London, in and around Westminster, in and around Buckingham Palace and other royal properties uh, as everyone tries to find a way to mark and be a part of that historic moment on Monday. What a security challenge. It's a mammoth. And I mean, the, the, the level of police that we've just seen in Scotland, uh, just tremendous. I was speaking to officers at different locations we were at, saying that it is an absolute all-hands-on-deck. Any vacation has been cancelled, everybody's been called in, and not only have they been called into Edinburgh, but now that you know the Queen's Coffin is on its way or will be soon taking off and heading to London, uh, you're going to see a descent of thousands of Scottish police officers heading to London to work the security mm. there, because this is obviously just an enormous security challenge, as much as is it a protocol and and, you know, coordination challenge. I got a minute here, Nick. High-speed rail. We're dying for that here in Canada. How, what's it like? I'm going about 200 kilometers per hour uh, south from Edinburgh down to London. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, the sites are beautiful. I mean, going through the countryside, I was just watching some deer frolicking in the, in the farm. But you're flying here. along at 200 kilometers an hour. You're going from Edinburgh, and it's like nothing, right? You, you A couple splits yeah. in, the, uh, in the connection. But, boy, could we? can you imagine having that in Canada? Can, the fact that we don't have it is a joke. It's a joke. Game changer, indeed. That would be. It's a joke that we don't have that, you know, with the price of gasoline and everything. Unbelievable. Yeah. All right, uh, Nick Dixon, reporter for CP24. I'm just sneaking in some local um, bits of transport in there as we cover the Queen. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Stay safe, and uh, we'll talk again. we got to take a break. We're going to swing back to Canadian politics and get a conservative reaction to Trudeau's anti-inflation plan. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Well, 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 a couple uh, breaking bits of news. You know how Justin Trudeau said that it's going to be a federal holiday and he's working with the provinces and territories to make this Monday the 19th a national holiday following the UK and Australia and New Zealand, but... Canada is very unique, and the Premier of Quebec, Premier Legault, who in the middle of an election cycle, the last thing a Premier of Quebec 
is going to do is declare a national holiday for the Queen of England. You just don't do that in Quebec. They didn't repatriate the Constitution, the Night of Long Knives. Uh, and one of the reasons why we don't have a, quote, national holiday, there may be provincial ones, is because... Now, I'll play a very short clip in French, but because of this. It's a journey of commemoration, but there will not be a journey of Paris. And we'll continue. I'll continue the campaign. He's going to continue the campaign. It will never be a holiday, and everyone cheers. So Quebec ain't having a national holiday for the Queen. Welcome to Canada and the challenges of governing a country like this. In the meantime, Justin Trudeau's decided, okay, I guess it's the bottom of the seventh inning. I don't know if it's the bottom of the ninth, because I think there's a ways to go here. But he's going to enter the inflation battling game and do something other than repeat what he's been repeating since the 2015 election or the last election a year ago and said, you know, our plan for child care or our plan is good enough. Uh, you know, when the facts have changed, you have to change your answer. And so finally, Justin Trudeau today has said he's going to double the GST credit for Canadians for the next six months, saying this. This will provide hundreds of dollars of support to Canadians, including half of all families and more than half of all seniors in the country. For example, parents with two kids could receive up to an extra $467 this fall to help with the cost of living. There's also a Canada Dental Benefit, which will give uh, families with kids under the age of 12 uh, up to 650 bucks a year. And the federal government will also provide a one-time $500 top-up for the Canada Housing Benefit. Now, I've gone over all these things, but I haven't heard from the Conservatives, who, by the way, have a new team, two deputy leaders, Tim Upel and uh, Melissa Lantzman, who joined me on Power Play last night, but our good friend Dan Albus, the Conservative MP, and now the Shadow Minister of Finance, Something I thought maybe Pierre Polyev might never give up. He liked it so much. Joins us. Hey, congrats on your new job. Well, thanks, Evan. Actually, it's the one I've been doing uh, for the past oh, yes. year or so months. But uh, anyway, it's great to be with you to talk about inflation because that is the number one thing Canadians are ta talking to us and saying that the government for months to do something about it. Like, look, less than a week ago, while in Vancouver, the finance minister said, and I'm going to quote her, we also understand right now that our government has a real responsibility to be fisc fiscally responsible, end quote. Now they fly all the way to New Brunswick, and today it's all spend, 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 with absolutely no plan for how that spending ever is to be paid for. Now, this Well, is here's the problem. Can I, okay, well, let's just talk about that. Um, and I'm, first of all, you're right. You've only been on PowerPlay like 9,000 times as the shadow critic of finance. So I just, you know, they've got the new positions today. So you're absolutely right. You've been doing it for a while, Dan. Uh, but um, Trudeau's essentially, one of the sort of weird consequences of inflation, and by the way, you should take no comfort in this, folks, is that the government coffers uh, are padded. It's happened in Alberta with the high price of oil, but it's also happened inflation means that the government collects big revenues. So actually their deficits are falling and that's why they're probably spending this stuff on a GST reduction. Now, I actually thought a GST rebate for six months might be something that you, like a tax holiday for people is something that conservatives would support. 
Well, look, you know, if the government actually had a pay-as-you-go policy, something that Pierre Polyev has been talking about and conservatives wholly support, what you would see is rather than putting more money into the economy, which does increase inflation, what you would do is you would say, let's refresh our priorities. Canadians are suffering. We need to put out a program to help Canadians while not aggravating inflation. To but do what? Justin Trudeau. So, so do what? Like, I'm, but I mean, again, I'm just asking. Well, like if you're, I, if you're I, doubling the GST tax credit for six months, what is like, is, is that not, that's putting money into people who are um, obviously low income families, parents with kids, they're going to get almost five, 467 bucks. Isn't that like, wouldn't the conservatives support a GST credit doubling? So again, we would be supportive of supports to those who need them within the context as a pay-as-you-go, meaning that the government, by the way, in this budget, they said that they have $7 billion of spending that they say will theoretically be reviewed. They could pull that back uh, while they look to increase supports. We've talked about a GST holiday on the price of gas. Look, Evan, the, the, the lower your income is, the more dependent you are on things like gasoline prices because it affects your groceries, it affects uh, your ability to pay. And, you know, energy costs as we go into uh, the fall and winter are going to be top of mind on Canadians. Look, I'm from British Columbia. We have natural gas, but natural gas prices have essentially gone up and up and up. So this prime minister likes to talk about, well, look, we have this new spending thing, something that they said that they, they, they weren't going to do, uh, you know, just even a week ago. Suddenly they realized this is a political priority. But let me tell you this, Evan, it's not just low-income people that are suffering under inflation. Yes, it hits them the hardest, but we have middle-class Canadians right across this country. Our GDP is dropping, our unemployment is rising, and this Prime Minister just seems to think that adding more money into the economy, driving up inflation, is the answer. We say a balanced approach. Okay, okay, but let's just, I just want to ask about that. Just on gas, by the way, it is high. I just want to give the facts. I'm not trying to spin anything, but gas, which spiked in June, is down something like 23 percent uh, this September, right? So it's so so it's significant. It's still too high in my view, but it's down. It's fallen 22 percent in the last uh, month. Now, can I ask you a bit about like you know politics is about choosing. Um, there's a lot of people that don't have a dental plan. Um, and you know that the Canada Dental Plan that they announced today, $900 million it will cost, will give families with kids under 12 who do not have access to dental insurance 650 bucks a year. I, do you believe that that's the wrong thing to help kids under 12 who don't have dental insurance get that money and that in and of itself is a program that, sorry, we can't, the government can't help those families? Well, that's a great question, because in British Columbia, we actually do have a program, and that's run by the province. And so the question I would have, and this is something John Horgan has said, he says, I need more money for health transfers. I don't want to be spending uh, new money federally uh, on other things that are covered provincially. And so are we going to have two different bureaucracies? Are people going to be confused as to who they go to to get these supports? And look, Evan, like we, we still don't know what the fiscal framework is going to be. All I know is in the li latest Bank of Canada report, it shows that GDP uh, is projected to go down and inflation is going to take a lot longer than anyone ever contemplated. Remember, Christia Freeland said the issue was deflation uh, and wouldn't even acknowledge inflation until just today. So we are trying to have a program to help low-income Canadians 
but at the same time realizing that broad tax relief and a government that is uh, focused on reigning in government, modernizing government, not creating a mountain of government, that's where the priorities okay, need to so, be. Okay, so what and, about and just, just so what about this one-time rental support program, the Canada Housing Benefit he talked about today? If you've got an adjusted net income below $35,000 for families or 20000 for individuals by the end of the year, you get this $500 one-time rental support. Is that inflationary causing and you wouldn't support that or do you think it's a good so, idea? So this is what I've heard from people that are renters. That doesn't even put down a down payment. The second thing is, even David Eby, who is, who is soon to be, I expect, to be premier in British Columbia, said, where is the money in British Columbia? Because Christia Freeland, the Minister of Finance, has been talking about this payment since the budget. Yet, when I have contacted her office, they say, we will figure out how to get this to people soon. But well, sorry, so do you that, support that the just... concept or, or is it the incompetence of delivery, but the competence well, of the program? It, it, what is it? Well, this is the thing is, is that, you know, let's identify the people that need the help. I want to see a case from Christia Freeland. And so far, uh, she's been AWOL at the Finance Committee. We've been expecting her to come in on inflation and to make these arguments, whether they be in the House or a committee. And she's absent. And you know why, Evan? I believe it's because she's too busy juggling so many different jobs as Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister. Canadians deserve a Finance Minister that is laser focused on inflation and dealing with the crisis that they have in their lives. Lives, and it seems to be right. just from a week ago, she suddenly reversed her position. It's because of the politics, I believe, they probably polled and said, right. gee, we got to do something. Well, they got to do something. Done. Hey, listen, it's not just a polling. People are suffering from inflation. Hey, Dan Albus, conservative shadow minister of finance. Thanks, Dan. I got to take a break. I love having you on. Where you meet the people behind the story. It's the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. When I was in uh, university living in Montreal, where my kids now live, as a Toronto-born kid who was given a Montreal Canadiens shirt to play street hockey in, ice hockey in, I somehow am one of these weird people who actually like the Leafs. My son's like a diehard Leafs fan. I live in Ottawa, but I happen to be a Habs fan. And, I, and when I went to school in Montreal, I would, for 10 bucks, you could get standing room tickets. You could get what was then called a forum dog and a beer. And you'd stand up and you'd cheer and you'd go there and you'd have a couple pops and you'd watch the game. And, you know, back then we they would be cheering and booing for the likes of Stefan Richet. And it was great because it was 10 bucks. It was a great night. Now you can't do that anymore. But there's a special relationship we Habs fans have for the Habs. Leaf fans are the same. Which is, the, and I'm not saying like the Ottawa fans or the Vancouver Canucks fans or the Calgary fans or the Edmonton fans are lesser passionate. But there are more deeper traditions in the original six. That's fair to say, without insulting anyone. The traditions run deep. And innovation then changes to this. For example, the jerseys are pretty deeply felt. It's not like the Yankees could take the pinstripes off. Like the Raptors and the Jays, for example, they could change their logos a bit because, you know, part of being a sort of more recent addition to any sport 
is that you should be on this sort of more innovative side. You're not either benefiting or burdened by tradition. But the Habs have just decided to launch a multi-year partnership with RBC, the Royal Bank. And they took their legendary jersey. And because there's this new jersey advertising programs that now allows NHL teams to sell advertising on their jerseys, there will be an RBC logo on the jersey of the Habs during home games at the Bell Center in Montreal. Now a lot of people are livid. How dare you? How dare you besmirched the sacred red jersey of the Habs? Le Canadien. The jersey of the Rocket. The jersey of Guy Lafleur. Of Ken Dryden. Of Serge Savard. Of Yvonne Conway. Of Patrick Waugh. Hockey World. Furious. I don't care. 1-855-633-1010 or 7 1-855-633-1010 or 7 Do I love the, 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 the traditions of the Canadians? Yes. Do I love that they've got on their locker from these flailing hands, right? I love all that. But do I really care in this world if they've got a little RBC logo? No. When I watch the Tour de France, they're basically bicycling billboards. If you watch the Formula One, they're basically driving billboards. If you watch any soccer player, they're basically billboards. I, 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 some people say they make so much money, these sports franchises, 1-855-633-1010 and 710-10. They don't need it. Evan Boo, Habs, Goalies. We, we're going to get a lot of that. Now, Nike provides the NBA jerseys. I think to do that, they paid a billion dollars to the NBA. They sell, and they can also put their swoosh on every jersey because they're the sponsor of the jersey. So now what? Tennis players can wear a logo, and golf players can wear a logo. And if you sponsor, and Nike can put their logo because they're paying a billion dollars. But why can't RBC on, on, on? People are livid. People are livid. I don't care. It's a little different. It's a little different. But this is this is the way these athletes are making so much money. It's no doubt. It is not a shock to me that owners who are making bank and paying bank are going to try to bank, make bank on the jerseys. Evan, it's sacrilegious, but bills need to be paid. That could be the basically the eulogy of our times. Sacrilege, but bills need to be paid. Evan, sweaters, not jersey. We are not, we are Canadian, not American. You don't say Jersey? You can say you're on your hockey sweater. I think you say both. I don't know when people say don't use a word, it's Canadian. Who cares? 
Evan, I, first of all, that sounds like my mom. Sweaters, not jerseys. I don't care. It's a jersey. It's a, look, my kids get mad at me when I say taco instead of taco. I said, do you want to have tacos today? And they're like, tacos? You want to have tacos, Dad? It's tacos, Dad. Oh, okay. Look at my Spanish-speaking children. Mark, what's up? Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm awesome. What's your take? Okay. First of all, in one way, it's good because if they put the R, if they put the RBC logo on it, it brings in more money. It's like more advertising. So then it will bring in more money for the team, and the Canadians will have more power to buy uh, better players. And also, you were saying. Even like I bought myself a jersey last year. I bought a Coldfield jersey last year. How much? But it doesn't matter. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. How much did you spend for a Coldfield? By the way, I love Coldfield. What a shot. How much did you spend for that jersey? Whatever amount I paid, it was worth it because he's a great player. No, no, you're ducking. What Did you pay over 100 bucks? 120 bucks? 160 bucks? Of course. And the Bell Center is always over $100. Holy like It's a lot. You know the prices. You know I know. The prices. They, I, I will prices. say this. Jerseys but are worth it. Is it? it? Jerseys are bonkers expensive. No, I think they're too expensive. Just like uh, remembering, remembering, watch going to a good game. But like I was saying, I was saying, like even though people are going to go to the game, they're going to wear like uh, old Lafleur jerseys, Dryden jerseys, even the old players' jerseys, or even players from last year, year before. But even if they don't have, doesn't matter if you don't have the RBC on the jersey from last year. They'll still have it, but this year they'll keep it on the RBC to bring in more money for the Canadians. And of course, you want to get a, you want to have more money because mm. uh, you want to have a, you want to have a team that's uh, good, you know, a good team. You have more money if you have more power, more money, okay. more power. Okay, good stuff, Mark. I appreciate that. Rocky's on the line. What's up, Rocky? Oh, maybe Rocky just ditched. Uh, Bruce is on the line. What's up? Hi, Evan. Uh, I'm not too concerned about paying for good players i've got a young son and i just like to take him to a hockey game and unfortunately i don't make the money to be able to do that and then maybe if they could get heavy sponsors maybe they can lower the ticket so a guy like me could actually enjoy a game with my son uh you've nailed it bruce ticket price ticket prices are absolutely killing us and the appetite for hockey so high we've got such high ticket prices now they're making i agree with you Lower the ticket prices and put a couple logos on. I'd go for that too. But I think what's going to happen is you're going to get logos and high ticket prices. Don't you? Yes, I agree with you 100%. It's just unfortunate because one of something, it's our kids that are to keep, keep the tradition going. And it's pretty bad when I can't take my son to a, a hockey game so he can enjoy it. And I don't even want to see big players, I just want him to have the atmosphere. Have you ever taken your son to a junior A game or anything or, or even any of the. Um, um, other leagues like there's fantastic hockey that you don't have to pay a big buck there, for there there is a hundred percent evan and one of something i had the enjoyment of going to the exhibition and take him to an argos game and it was awesome yeah. we were in nosebleed seats but it was just the thrill of being there yeah well well done yeah I, I ticket prices is a whole nother thing bruce but i'm kind of with you if logos would lower ticket prices but if only it was that way um, it's like saying you're going to stop drinking beer and suddenly you're going to get a six-pack. No, you're not. The only six-pack you'll get is another six-pack of beer. All right, thanks, man. Um, i got to take a break. Good call, though, Bruce. Dan Riskin has got a new kids' book out. What? Of course, it's about bats, and he's standing by.
time in your car doesn't have to be time wasted. Join the evolution of talk radio. This is The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. What doesn't he do? It is time for Risking It All with Dan Riskin. But we don't even have the sounder. <sighs> Did I just make some noises? Dan Riskin. Dan. We could just do like a homemade version. Yeah, that sounds good. I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay, you ready? I'll do it yeah. myself. Okay, I'm going to just do it. It's time for that favorite segment of the week when we bring on our brilliant friend Dan Riskin, the CTV science and technology specialist, who's actually got a children's book he's just published yesterday, Fiona the Fruit Bat. It's time for Risking It All with Dan Riskin. Dan Riskin, that sounds right. Dan Riskin. Hey, buddy, how's it going? <laughs> great, man. Th- th- thank you for that great introduction. Yeah, no I'm super psyched. Like normally I'm talking all science, but this time it's a kid's book and I'm, it took a long time and I'm really psyched about it. Okay, let's talk about Fiona the Fruit Bat. Congratulations. Your first kid's book came out Tuesday, September 12th. Tell us about this. Yeah, actually, today's Tuesday. It came out today, Tuesday, September 13th. So it's um, it's uh, it's just brand new. And it's based on this bat that I met when I was a young grad student. I went to Costa Rica, and uh, I, like it was my first day in the tropics. And this other grad student said, do you want to see a bat? And I said, yes. And he said, stick your head in that cave. And it was a little tiny opening, and I stuck my head in this hole and looked up. And about an arm's length away was this adorable little bat with a little triangle on its nose. And I'd never seen one of these leaf nose bats before. And it was a short tailed fruit bat. It's one of the best studied bats in the world. And uh, it just, I locked eyes with it. And I just had this moment of like, this is what I was meant to do. Like, I just, just, I just want people to know the way you described the um, short tailed fruit bat. um, Like it's this, it is a creature that is like you, we should describe it because many people might not have that same, oh, I locked eyes with it and knew this was my <laughs> destiny. It is pretty gross looking to many people, not to you. you right. So that's the thing is they do have personality. Bats have <laughs> charisma. And so, you know, everybody like reacts to a bat. Nobody's indifferent. If a bat flies in the room, everybody notices, right? It's like, it's a big deal. Um, and there's there's a magic behind them. And if you see them in the right context and it's a calm environment and they're not freaking out and you're not freaking out, you, you can have these quiet moments where you sort of see them scratch themselves and like twist around on their perch hanging upside down and and you sort and they move their neck in funny ways and they point their nose where they're listening because this is a bat that echolocates with its nose which it's is got, really like cool. its nose kind of sticks up like it it looks like it's almost got like a what we like a little satellite dish sticking up yeah. from its snout yeah it's called a nose leaf, and that's a good name for it. It's a little triangle that sticks up. And so anyway, um, this bat and I uh, just had this moment. The bat probably forgot about it the, right away, but I, I, it st- stayed with me. And this specific kind of bat has this developmental process that I've always been really excited about because basically the bat lives in the dark and it doesn't know how to echolocate as a baby. And its mom comes and takes it and carries it around and, and it will go feed with its mom, but it drinks milk and it stays behind in the cave in the dark, unable to echolocate. Uh, you know, it, it can see, but it's dark. So it can't actually use its eyes very well in, in the darkness. And it's like that for its whole sort of childhood for the first three weeks of its life. And then when it gets to about three weeks old, it suddenly starts making the right kinds of noises that hmm. it can echolocate. And so you can imagine it goes from a r- world where it can't 
perceive anything to all of a sudden being able to see the entire cave. And it's like basically at that exact time that the bat first starts to fly. And I've always thought about how cool that is as a developmental thing and try to imagine what it would be like to be that baby bat and be, you know, scared and it's dark and you don't know how you're possibly going to be able to fly because you can't even see anything. And then all of a sudden you realize you have this ability and you can trust yourself and you can fly. And so that's sort of the developmental process that that underlies the book and all the science is behind the scenes. I don't talk about the science in the book. I just talk about this bat's experience, but it, it's cool to imagine that. And I think it's a nice metaphor for everything a kid has to do that they've never done before, right? Like go to the dentist or ride a bus or whatever it is that they're scared to do. They've never done it and they have to sort of trust themselves. I think that's a nice metaphor for that. So Fiona, the fruit bat is a little baby bat too scared to fly. Cause it's too dark which is actually realistic. It's actually kind of true. In real life, that's true, but you've kind of made it. So Fiona's kind of terrified of the dark and she's got to learn to trust herself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's, you know, follow your own voice is a really cool sort of saying, but when you're echolocating, that's exactly what you have to do. And and her mom doesn't spell it out for her. Her mom just says, listen, and that gives her that clue, but she has to work it out on mm. her own. And there's this nice thing about echolocation that you can't echolocate with somebody else doing the shouting. You yourself have to shout. You yourself have to be the one making the noises. And the thing is, and we've talked about this, but humans can echolocate too, to a certain degree, not like a bat does, but pretty darn well. And so at the back of the book, after the story, I have some exercises that parents can do with their kids where you can actually figure out that how to do some beginning echolocation by holding the book in front of your face and making funny noises and then moving the book away and realizing it sounds different and, and uh, just exploring that, that echolocation theme a little farther. Speaking of Dan Riskin, who's got his first children's book out, came out today, Fiona the Fruit Bat. Um, who publishes the book? It's it's Greystone. They're out Gray, of Vancouver. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know Greystone. Okay, so Greystone Books uh, Publishing House is publishing Fiona the Fruit Bat. Uh, this is for kids like, what, three to seven? And is exactly. it a picture book? Like, who illustrates it? Yeah, so Rachel Tsutsi is this uh, Toronto-based artist. And basically, we had the story figured out. It's funny because I sort of had the story. I had this science worked out, and I had the idea of what the story would be. And then I talked to these publishers, and they're like, great, this is going to be fantastic. They gave me an editor uh, who, uh, her name's Callie George, and they said, okay, you guys are going to work this out. And I did my first draft, and Callie was very patient. She's like, okay, that was really great, Dan. You've got a lot of good ideas. Let's try again and do this differently. And so there were a lot of back and and it changed dramatically because my right. instincts as a you know scientist who spent way too much time reading scientific papers just didn't lend themselves to the page. So she did a great job getting the language just the way we wanted it. And then once we were getting close to realizing what the flow was like and what the pace was like and who this bat was that we were meeting in the book, um, we started looking at the portfolios of different artists. And the key was to find someone who knows how to take animals that aren't necessarily cute in real life when you first look at them and how to bring out the cuteness in them. And I think that Rachel has done a really good job of that. This bat, you know, right on the cover, you can see she's got this look in her eyes, like she's nervous about something. Mm. And, and it, it, it it's a cute, attractive little bat. I mean, I'm biased to like bats to start with, but people who don't like bats have also said they like the way this one looks. You know, I, w now, how old are your kids now? Uh, they are, well, they just had birthdays. So I've got 11 and eight and eight. Right, right. Like when my kids were young, I also uh, decided to write some kids' books. So, so I published a series of kids' books, Nathaniel McDaniel and the Magic Attic with Penguin. And for my kids, I did one for my daughter and then one for my son. And, and I, one of the things I loved about publishing kids' books was not only, you know, working with the illustrator, um, an incredible 
great thing to do, but also that I ended up doing lots of readings for years to kid to classrooms of kids, young kids mm. who would then like send me their the adventures of Nathaniel McDaniel. Are you going to do a bit of a tour and 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 do some classroom readings? I would love to do that. I have even before I had a master's degree, when I was just a guy who liked bats who had who'd finished my undergrad, I was volunteering in classrooms to talk about bats and showing pictures. And then once I started doing research, I started giving slideshows about the 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 trips I'd done to see bats. And that sort of like morphed into my whole career in science communication. Like there's no practice like getting up in front of a bunch of junior high kids and trying to get them to listen to you talk about bats, right? Because they're a tough audience. And if you know, if you can't get them to listen, um, they're not gonna be polite and just listen anyway they're teenagers and so mm. i really learned to like hold an audience's attention that way and it was really good practice and so going into classrooms and talking to young people about bats is something i've always loved doing and it's going to be fun to have this book to sort of have that way to do it and i've read the book to my kids um, i haven't had the opportunity to read it to anyone else yet so i'm really looking forward to that um that interaction that happens and i hope that parents have the same experience there's some sound effects and some noises that i'm, I'm looking forward to hearing how different people read those and, and oh well, could, could just be things. so give us quick I got a minute. Give me some sound effects and noises. That how well, like how would Riskin read it? Well, so there's. Let me grab the book. There's a there's a one page where the bat can hear things in the cave that she she hears noises she recognizes like a taka taka tick and a splat 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 and a bibble babble bubble. But she doesn't know what's making those noises because she can't perceive the cave yet. And then later in the book, once she figures out her echolocation, those things come to light and you can see what it is that makes those right. noises. So okay. anyway, well, it's, can it's, I can uh, I give you a little tip? I got 10 seconds. When you yeah, say like ticky, ticky, tick, like give it like a little like ticky, ticky, tick. You know what I mean? Like throw down okay. a little, you know. Give it a little Evan Solomon? No, give it a little Dan Riskin. No, you're the kids. Thanks, you're man. The, you're the best. Congrats, Fiona the Fruit Bat. Pick it up for your kids. Dan's first children's book. Dan, congrats. You rock. Thanks so much. Thanks. Where you meet the people behind the story. It's the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Okay, this is the happiest thing I've seen probably all fall, and I need a good happy dose. The coolest thing I've seen all fall, and the thing I most want to see for real. A giant smiley face made of trees. In Oregon, this is okay. Like it's, it's almost impossible to describe unless you get David Hampton, the owner of Hampton lumber in Oregon, who intentionally mixed tree breeds to create, like he planted a giant smiley face. So he mixed these trees. It's a huge forest. So imagine an aerial shot. And then when you look down, some of the trees are, you know, their leaves have turned colors green uh, from the sea of green to orange and it makes like that famous smiley face it's unbelievable david hampton's on the line hi david how are you doing this morning well i was a tree planter to make money through university so i've planted i don't know how many trees my daughter just finished tree planting so when i hear a good tree planting story i'm all in what the heck did you do in polk county <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, uh, we're, we've been in the tree business for a long, long time, uh, and also public relations. So when you're doing a big clear cut, as we call it, 
you know, the public doesn't necessarily love it. So my father was saying to me, how can you do this and make it look better? You know, can you, could you spray green out there? Can you do, you know, and I'm like, no, Dad, we can't do that. Hmm. So we came up with this idea because this particular unit was very visible. Uh, Highway 18 goes to the coast. And so we decided, when, and we were joking around at lunch one day, wouldn't it be funny if we put a smiley face up there? And it kind of went, whoa, you know. So how do we do that? Well, gosh, if we put hybrid larch out there, that'll turn yellow in the fall. And then Doug fur for the eyes. And so the next thing you know, I'm out there with our chief tree planter, Fred Rutov, and uh, we stick, we put a stake in the ground. We went 150 feet out, so that thing's 300 feet around, 300 feet across. And then we uh, we put the eyes and the mouth in, and it's all hand done. And you know, the the amazing thing to me is is that it actually came out perfect uh, the first time. So uh, we had no idea really what we were doing. It was just going to be sort of something funny. And then uh, as the years have gone by, it's just gotten to be amazing. You know, it's massive. When when the first year when we when it really turned yellow, I was just stunned. Yeah, I've oh, never it's... seen anything like it. And nobody else has either, so it's just kind of cool. It's so cool. It does seem like the kind of thing a bunch of guys rolling some good Oregon weed might think about one day, and then they actually <laughs> would never do it, but you did it. So it does seem like one of those huge stoner things, like, we should plant large, and then we should plant Douglas fir, and it would be like 300 feet, and you could see it from the sky, be like the cool. And then you're like, actually, we do do that. That's our business. So, so just talk about that, because it's really... so. Like clear cutting, look, we all need lumber, but clear cutting has is very controversial. In fact, um, as you know, and, and clear cut. But when people like my daughter or myself, when I was young, uh, we go out there and we make money by by replanting. And you're planting in this case Douglas fir, which is green, and then larch. I've never planted larch, which turns yellow, almost like an orangey yellow, like very early, right? Yep. It does, yeah. It turns bright yellow, and then the, the leaves actually fall off. So it loses it after a period of time. But in the spring, like you said, it's green, and you don't even notice it. Uh, it it's just indiscernible. It's all green up there. And then as the fall comes on, those things turn more and more yellow as they desiccate, and they get drier and drier pretty soon. It's just bright yellow. And it is, it's just kind of uh, it's, it's become weirdly iconic. Uh, I've gotten emails. We have a trading company in Japan, and we have one in Vancouver, and uh, these guys were corresponding. And it was actually on Japanese television. The guy took a screenshot, and, you know, it had a bunch of uh, words from Japan. But it's been all over the over the planet now, which is really fascinating. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, our CEO at the time thought it was a terrible idea. And this is the dumbest thing you guys ever could have done, because here we are uh, – you know, bringing notoriety to ourselves. And like you said, clear cutting is sort of a controversial thing, although yeah. it's a really good way to manage for Douglas fir forests. Uh, but the public doesn't understand when, you know, it goes from being green to brown and it takes a long time. I planted trees for 30 years out in the brush and, uh, you know, it just takes a long time. You got about five years and then all of a sudden here are the trees. So this was just an idea to get people to look up there and go, wow, you know, this is amazing. Clear cuts are actually really great places for, 
for deer, for elk, for for uh, cavity nesting species, for birds. We we're actually planting wildflowers now, believe it or not, so that we can get more bees into the forest uh, environment as well. So we're kind of. Uh, doing a bunch of different weird stuff, and and this one has really kind of hit the hit. Well, this is cool, and, 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 and David, like one of the things I, I first of all, when did you do this? Because these trees look pretty darn mature. Uh, it was 2010 uh, when we put that in. Okay, so it's only like 12, 13 years old. So, so these trees are still yeah. growing. How long will this last for? Well, that's a good question, Evan. I don't really know. And uh, we actually a couple of years back had a uh, silver thaw that came out there. It had a whole bunch of ice and uh, a bunch of the trees kind of bent over. So I told the guys, code red, we got to get out there and, and put these things back up. So uh, I'm not sure how it's going to look this year. It might ha- look like it's had a little bit of uh, palsy or something like that on one side of the face. So I don't know. You know, it, it looks good though. Like I, you, you got skill because folks, like you have to imagine, <laughs> like it's got dipping. It's it's massive. And, you know, it's uneven terrain and planting. Like, normally when you plant trees, it's like, you, you, you know, every tree's six feet apart. And, you know, you've done a heck of a job on this. And, and you're right. It must have brought a lot of attention to your company and clear-cutting. So, you know, I kind of might have been with your boss. Like, lovely idea, but, dude, just keep it quiet. But this has actually been the opposite, right? It makes people feel good. Well, now I get uh, kudos for it, you know, because it, it does make people feel good. And so our CEO is... Is all in support now. He's just, <laughs> of course. <laughs> now we're now we're brilliant. But uh, yeah, failure failure is an orphan. But but victory has many parents. That's right. So unfortunately, this is something my father never got to see. He passed away in 2006. But uh, you know, he had a great sense of humor. I think he's smiling down on us, thinking it's pretty damn funny. Well, first off, sorry about your loss. I lost my dad in the last year, and it looks like you're smiling right back up at your dad. So I bet if he's smiling down, you've got something smiling back up. So uh, there's nothing like uh, thinking about your father and the in the beautiful transformation of the leaves. Look, uh, just before I let you go, and I got just like 30 seconds here, would you do another one? This is so successful. Would you plant, I don't know, another design like with Larch and, and Doug Fur? You know, it's a great question, and we've sort of joked around about that. Uh, maybe we ought to put the Nike swoosh out there and and, and get paid for it, you know. But uh, <laughs> we're we're, <laughs> we're not going to do anything like that. So I I really don't have any designs to do anymore like that. I, I think we're one and done, honestly. Yeah, but be careful because all of a sudden you'll have like oh replanting forests and you'll be planting logos. It'll be an advertising. David Hampton might be onto something. Now that I'll tell you would be controversial. Hey, uh, thanks, man, for bringing yeah. a smile not only to the forest of Oregon, but to all of us, David Hampton, owner of Hampton Lumber in Oregon. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you very much. Appreciate it. That's great. He, so he mixed these tree breeds, like the Larch and the Douglas fir. Just please Google Smiley Face Hampton Lumber, Oregon, and check it out and give yourself a smile.